Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. I'd like, um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to do Isaiah 9, 6, but again, I want to read just a small portion before it, just to keep us in the context of what's actually happening. I'm going to start today from verse 19. We started um, earlier, two weeks ago. Isaiah 8, beginning at verse 19, and then I'll read down through verse 7 of chapter 9. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Nevertheless, gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. In Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian, for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle, and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel fire. Why? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Peleuitz, El Gabor, Aviad, Sar Shalom. He'll be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever. Why? The zeal of Yahweh Sabaoth will perform it. The beginning part sort of sounds like the United States and sounds like our world right now. When they say to you, go consult mediums and wizards and all this kind of stuff, if they don't speak according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. But the true light came 
to pierce the darkness, to bring the shadows to nothing. But in John, we read that those who walked in the darkness preferred the darkness, and they didn't want the light. They didn't want their darkness to be exposed. But he came anyway, didn't he? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Advent is a special time, in my mind, to remember the incarnation of the God who saves. He didn't stand aloof. Well, you did this to yourself. But before he ever made us, he had a plan. And the plan was for him to come into our midst to pay the penalty of the sin, which he knew those created in his image and likeness would perform. Isn't that cool? And he would do it as a child. And throughout the scriptures, he gave ample testimony of what he was going to do. These are just some, and I'm not going through these. These are just some of the verses, some of the, the context, the texts, which he declares that he himself would come to this earth, that Yahweh would come and he would dwell in their midst. People say, where did God ever say? You write them all down, you don't have time. Go later and look at it. I think I might have them in your sermon note sheet, maybe not. He's got it. The last two weeks, we've begun to focus on the names that are given just in Isaiah 9, verse 6. And, and David adequately last week presented the fact that those two middle ones are key, and I'll come back to that. But for the Jewish mind, you need to understand that a name was critical. It was important. It would be a reflection of their person, their position, their personality, their potential, potentiality, prophetically speaking, who they might be. So it was that Yahweh himself, the creator God, chose himself a name. Since he was the uncaused cause, and we'll come back to that in a moment, there was nobody to name him. So he named himself. What did he name himself? Yahweh, the one who exists. I am that I am. Why? Because that's the only name that could describe him. He is. He is. What's before him? Nothing. He is the uncaused cause. He is the one who exists and in whom all things exist and have their being. Does that sound familiar? We'll come back to that in a moment. Today, we're going to slide into then one of these names that you cannot get past. As David said last week with the mighty God and, and then coming to Everlasting Father, how do you miss it? How can you miss it? There's only one El Gabor. Well, there's only one Pele who eats, wonderful counselor. I mean, so as Steve brought out, the, the, in the Hebrew, the Pele Yuitz is Yahweh himself. There is none other than the Pele Yuitz. And even as then Chuck will bring out next week, Lord willing, with the, the Sar Shalom, he's the, giver, the, only, the only one who can give us perfect peace is Yahweh himself. There's only one mighty God. There's only one. It says... Everlasting Father. My Uncle Steve, years ago, when I went to seminary, said it didn't surprise him that I went there because I've always been 
philosophical. And I thought, really? But I've come to realize that my Uncle Steve was absolutely correct. Have you ever pondered eternity? I mean, there's part of it because I'm a math major and it just causes me to spin. And if you were, months ago we, we brought out, um, someone else told us about the mental brought set. I don't think it was me who found it. Someone put, else put it out there. But the mental brought set has just taken it. And John Harlan, if you're still on, I know that you are spinning on this because I just brought it up. And is this, if you ever check out the mental brought set, it takes eternity to another fathom, to another level. Because now you begin to focus on the fact that zero and one isn't con just zero to one. It's just not very simple like that. Because now, what do you have between zero and one? You have an infinity of numbers. What do you have between zero and point zero one? You have an infinity of numbers. What do you have between zero and point zero 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 one? You have an infinity of numbers. You can continue to go down, 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 further, 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 spread it out further and further, further. It's not just out that way and that way. It's this way. And in three directions, three dimensions. We're not even talking about the spiritual dimension. We're just talking about physical. And when you begin to think about that, my quiet time this morning, I read from David then, what is man that thou art mindful? We are just a mist. We are just a vapor. We are! Because when you begin to realize the vastness of, of this eternity that is God, you realize that you're just nothing. So I want to begin today looking at Everlasting Father by considering two quick, just very quickly, two philosophical implications. The first philosophical implication, and if you study philosophy at all, you'll get this. First, oh, first let's talk about the name. We're going to come back to the questions in a moment. Because it's not Everlasting Father. This is... So as you, yeah, as you study this, it's Aviad, Aviad. So Avi is my father. It could be my father or father of. It all depends on the construct. And so, and I, I did check this out with my, my, my favorite local um, Hebrew guy. And so, um, and he confirmed what I'm, I'm thinking on this. That when the descriptor comes prior to Avi, then it is a... It's my father. It's my father's house. So Beit Avi is my father's house. Okay? But when the descriptor comes after Avi, then it's the construct of belonging. And so the father of so-and-so. This is Avi Ad. Ad is eternity. It's the terminus side of eternity. You have olam as well. Olam, we've talked about that in the past, is that which is just after the horizon. When do you get just after the horizon? You never do. It's perpetuity. It just continues on and on and on. And so odd is the, the concept of terminus, and that is that it's the, the untilness of something. And so the reality is when, you, when do you ever get to eternity? You never do. So you have Olam and Ad kind of playing together. And so in the Old Testament, when you see forever and ever, normally it's Olam Va'ad. In other words, it's perpetually forever. Figure that one out. It's one thing to have something be perpetual, another thing for everything to be forever, and now it's perpetually forever. <laughs> Do you get where my brain's going here? I mean, I just... My brain is spinning what? 
Olam va'ad. It is spinning perpetually forever on this whole stupid thing. It's not stupid. I shouldn't even use the word stupid because this is phenomenal. It's wonder. It is pele yoitz. It is the council of wonder. I mean, it's just amazing to me. So who is, what is this name? The third name given. This child is going to be named the father of eternity. Better yet, the progenitor of eternity. Your dad is the one who begot you. You are because, and I understand God kind of stuff, but physically speaking, you are because your dad. Does it make sense? If your dad hadn't done that, you wouldn't be you. So he is your progenitor. He's the one who created you. He's the one who brought you into being. Do you get it? So that leads us to our first philosophical implication, our first question of existence. Is it possible? This is philosophy. So if philosophy is not your bag of tea, just ignore me for a moment, okay? Is it possible? Is it even comprehensible that there is an individual who can be outside of eternity and that creates eternity? From the physical mind, you say what? No, how can I make it? Because you're thinking physically. Yeah, yeah. What's before Genesis 1 1? God. See, this is one of these chicken and egg questions. Was eternity or was it God? The answer was God. God is the progenitor of eternity. Do you get it? It's the question of existence. Okay, what's the uncaused cause? Somewhere along the line, you go back far and far, 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 far. There has to be something that was or is that didn't have a cause. A beginning, yes, but there was no cause to make them be as they were. They are the uncaused cause. I am that I am. I am the one who exists. Literally is what his name means. The one who exists. In whom all existence is. That's God. The eternal God. Well, now the next question takes it a little deeper. The question of essence. The question of essence. Is it comprehensibly possible that a baby could be the confines of the progenitor of eternity. If there could be a progenitor of eternity, if there could be something outside of eternity that caused eternity, that's beyond my brain, how could that essence be confined into a zygote, not just a baby. And I don't have time to get into the diploids and everything else of, we're talking about with zygotes and stuff like that. Just take it for what it is. It's a one-cell being, human being. And he who was the progenitor of eternity, we're told in this Simple little verse. 
would be the child. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be Paleoites, Adagabor, Aviad. He's talking about the child. Never redefines he's still going to talk about somebody else. He's talking about the child. This is who the child's going to be. The child that's going to be there, who's going to be born, who's going to be given to us, is going to be the progenitor of eternity. Can you wrap your brain around that one? Mary, did you know? I love that song. Because I think, what could she comprehend? I mean, she knew she was going to have the Son of God, but that's even mind-boggling. You know, I mean, even if you want to make this into a confined thing, but did she go back to the prophecies about who her child would be? Was she meditating on the fact that this is the progenitor of eternity sitting here right in my lap? How can this be? The child that you've delivered would soon deliver you. You guys know the song. It's pretty cool. And when you begin to think about all that's in in this moment. So i got to move on, because that's just the philosophical. That's just the stuff to make your brain spin. Okay? Because now we're going to get into the really fun stuff, right? The paradoxical implications. So we go from philosophical to paradoxical. Well, what's paradoxical? Well, first of all, we got this identity of the eternal God. So what I'd like to do now is I want to sp- share these verses out. So um, do we have that, the testimony mic back there, guys? I want to use that. That's the mic I want to use, Okay. So who wants to take Exodus 15, verse 18? Okay, Christina. Psalm 10, verse 16. We'll take that. Micah. Okay, moving backwards. Isaiah 57, 15. Marlis. Okay, I'm going to do this side on this slide, and then next slide will come on this side. Okay, Isaiah 43, 10 to 11. Okay, um, Aaliyah, sorry. Isaiah 46, 5 to 9. Somebody on this side. Okay, um, Elijah. Psalm 135, 15 and 17. Who's going to take it? Somebody on this side. All right. Oh, we got Noah. Okay, good. All right. So Exodus 15, 18. Okay, we'll start with uh, Christina. Exodus 15, 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Okay. So the Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I'm going to ask you to do something. If, if capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is there in your text when you read it, read Yahweh. Because that's who he is. Okay? Because we're going to define who he is. Okay? Because it's not just generic Lord. It's Yahweh. So Yahweh um, shall reign forever and ever. Psalm 10, 16. Who had that? Okay, Micah. Yahweh is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Amen. And so each of these forever and evers was that olam va'ad. Okay. Um, Isaiah 57, verse 15. Says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Cool. So thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. So you're always declaring now that he inhabits eternity. Isaiah 43, verse 10 to 11. You are my witness, declares Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. So what's fun about this, before me, literally it's in the presence of my face. Before my face, panim. Okay, so what he's saying is, so he's not just before me like time-wise, 
But even in my presence, there is no God formed. Neither shall there be any behind me. Literally, so after me is behind him. So he's doing this thing like, there's none in front of me. There's none behind me. There's only one Savior. That's what? It's me. There's only one God. That's me. Okay? Isaiah 46, 5 to 9. Elijah. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? The, they lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on the shoulder and they carry it and set it in its place and it stands. From its place it shall not move. The one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Okay, before I comment, let's do Psalm 135, 15 to 17. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, verse 17 as well. Oh. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Okay, so in these two verses, Yahweh's talking about the fact that men make what? Idols, gods, little g gods, but idols, specifically we're talking about idols, the things that they form out of material goods, right? And they make them look like humanoids or something. So they have eyes, but they do not See, they have ears, but they do not hear. They have mouths, but they do not speak. In fact, on Psalm 135, it says, there's not even any breath in them. And so Yahweh begins it in Isaiah saying, to whom will you liken me? To who will, who will you liken me, right? Who are going to make me equal or, or compare me to that we should be alike? Now, I want you to think about that. And then he begins to talk about what? Idols, icons, uh, shapes, physical shapes, forms that that men were making in equating it to Yahweh. Are you tracking with what I'm going? This is very important to, to get this, okay? Yahweh's saying, you can't compare me. You can't liken me to anything. Don't make an icon that, that's going to compare me to anything. It's not going to happen, okay? Because they're going to have eyes, but they do not see. They're going to have ears, but they do not hear. They're going to have mouths, but they do not speak. And they don't have any breath in them. So who's the eternal God? Yahweh, okay? Make sense? Okay, we can go to a lot more passages. But Yahweh's pretty clear that he is the one and only eternal God. He's the one who inhabits eternity. Well, now we get to our second part then. That is the incarnation of this eternal God. So let's come to this side, okay? Somebody want to take John 1, 1 and 14? John 1, 1 and 14. Okay, we'll start with Brian, so in the front. Okay, Micah 5, 2. Okay, Stephen? Colossians 1, 15 through 19. I got a lot of them, and I'm going to stick on this side, so you're going to volunteer. <laughs> Kathy, okay? Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Who's going to do it? Some are going to do it. All right, good. Thank you. Um, Todd. Um, Philippians 2, 5 to 7. Uh, Tucker. Uh, John 10, 27 to 30, and then 37 to 38, and I saw your hand, Karina. Are you good with all that? Okay. And Janet, I saw your hand, so you can have the last one, John 14, 6 to 11. Okay, so let's start with Brian, with John 1, and then verse 14. 
John 1, 1, and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, Four. do you remember what that said in the Greek when we went through it? Do you remember how it says it in the Greek? God was the Word. Okay, good. Okay, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word, ginomai, became, wasn't born, became flesh, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, okay? And so he became flesh, he tabernacled among us, and who is the Word from verse 1? He's God. He was with God, and God, and God was the Word. Okay? So we go on then to Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. There's going to be one who's going to be born in Bethlehem, whose going forth are from, from old. From everlasting, from min yom olam, from days perpetual. So this one who's going to be born has a going forth, which are from days perpetual past. Amazing. Colossians 1, 15 to 19. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Okay, you're in the very beginning of that, Kathy, verse 15. He is the what? How did you say that? The son of the, uh, the son is the image of the invisible The image, God. the image, good. Okay, it does say image. Okay, good. All right, Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principalities of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Okay, so before we go on to Philippians, take Colossians 1 Colossians 2 together. Colossians 1, Kathy, as Kathy read, that the Son is the icon, the image. In the Greek, it's the word icon. He's the icon of the invisible God. Now, here's where I wanted you to We paid attention when we talked about Isaiah and about those idols and in Psalm 135, remember? Okay? Because they are physical beings where they try to make them as God. Colossians, Paul says to the Colossians that Jesus is the icon of the Godhead in whom all the fullness of the Godhead was bodily. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell 
bodily. Justin's not on this side. He's on this side. But those who've been here enough, you, you know I, I've always gone to one because Justin would do the, um, the clay um, forms. When you make a, uh, an idol, uh, an idol, an icon, you always want it to be hollow because it would blow up in the kiln. Okay, so it has to have the space. And so what they would do with the icons back in those days, um, if it was a, like the, for the Aphrodite or whatever, they would put like a, um, an aphrodisiac stuffed up in it. And so they would take some out and they would, you know, the herbs and stuff like that. And so that was kind of like as they worshipped the idol, they would take things out. So the icon would be stuffed with things that were toward who it is. Are you tracking this one? You, you, are you going where I'm going? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? In Jesus, the shell, the tent, he who tented among us, in him, bodily, the fullness of the Godhead was stuffed. He was 100% man, but he was 100% God. And I can't fathom that. Again, go back to the first point of the message, the question of essence. How can the progenitor of eternity be confined to a zygote? Jesus says to Nathaniel, I saw you. Why are you under the fig tree? I saw you. You could say, well, he went there and he saw. No, it's not how it, that, that passage plays out. He knew it. He was omniscient. He was omnipotent. And yet, as we're going to read in Philippians 2 in just a second, he emptied himself in some manner when he came to the earth. And he allowed himself to be abused by his own creation. Are you tracking this? And so Colossians 2 says, let no man cheat you. Don't let them cheat you with their vain philosophies. Trying to say that Jesus is just another God. No, Yahweh already declared it. We already saw it. Before me, there was what? No other God. And after me, there is what? No other God. There is no other God. And so, again, John 1 is very important when it comes to that in the... In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. It says in your English, and the Word was God, and the Jehovah Witnesses want to declare that it says then, and the Word was a God, because there's no definitive there, and they don't get it because they don't understand the Greek. And literally it's theos ein halagos. God was the Word. It's a definition of who God is, not who the Word is. God is the Word. And so, one of you guys did the, if A equals B and B equals C, was it you, David? Yeah, I gave you a big amen on that. It was good. The transitive property. That's exactly what's how it's playing out. And so now you got this kid, this child, who's the progenitor of eternity, who tabernacled, tented among us. Because that's all it could be. Because his dwellings, his living, his purpose, his being had been what? 
before you can ever comprehend because you can't comprehend what's before eternity. And so he just kind of came and tented. You know what's exciting? He's coming and tenting again one day. Philippians 2, who has that? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So that word, made himself of no reputation, literally is from the kanao, is he emptied himself. In other words, he, he didn't come like a king with all this royalty, but rather he humbled himself. He condescended to his creation. And he humbled himself even to the point of death. How cold is that? Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name, the name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And I don't think necessarily that the name was Jesus. I think it's Yahweh. And I think that happened from eternity past. Figure that one out. That before he ever came, that's who he was. But here on the earth, Yahashua means Yahweh saves. And so that's why his name was what his name was. John 10, 27 to 30, and then 37 to 38. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Stop for a second, Karina. You're doing really good. Who's talking? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Did he just say that he gives eternal life? I give them. Yes. Yeah, that's what he said. Keep going. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Okay. 37. Verse 37. Yep. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they... Wait, That's good. You're Sorry. good. Yeah. So I and the Father are one being, one existence, and one essence. It makes sense that the one who is the progenitor of eternity was the one who could do what? Give eternal life. We're going to come more to that in a moment. Okay? So let's read John 14, 6 to 11, because Jesus now is going to get even clearer. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know, know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my, on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does this, his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Lord, I believe. But can I, can I just ask one little thing? Can you show us the Father? I mean, just, just help my faith out just a little bit here, Lord. 
Show me the Father. Philip? Philip, think, buddy. Have I been with you this long and you haven't recognized me? What do, you, I mean, do you get it? Do you get what he's saying? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And people want to say, well, they're talking about purpose. They're talking about this. That's not what Jesus answers. I want to see the Father. You're looking at him. So I know, Mr. Mormon, Mr. Jehovah Witness. Then who's Jesus praying to? Is he praying to himself? <laughs> That's a great question. When you get there, ask him. I mean, I'm not trying to belittle this one. I'm a created being. I'm a mist. I'm a vapor. I have no concept of, of eternity. It causes my brain to spin. But to have someone who's beyond, be outside of eternity, and we as a couple of clay pots are going to sit here and talk about the potter, and judge the potter, and analyze the potter, that's pretty stupid. So from my perspective, I'm going to accept what the potter's declared about himself. Does it make sense? And what did he declare? There's a triunity in that Godhead. There's a oneness that I can't comprehend. I can give you lots of illustrations. I can talk about it on the body, on the soul, on the spirit. We can talk about the egg. We can talk about the apple. We can talk about a lot of things. But you know what? All of our ideas, all of our illustrations, though they're good, they still fall short. Because we're physical. We're limited. Everything we think is limited. They have confines to it. We live in the confines of time, space, and matter. It all happened in Genesis 1. He's outside that. Is your brain bursting just a little bit here? I hope it is. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is that one who's beyond even eternity. So what's the big deal then? The practical inferences. The first one is, going back to these questions, the questions of essence. Mankind, first of all, is a spirit being in the nature then eternal. So I'm going to read through these passages. We're not going to pass them through, but for sake of time, I'm going to go through this one. So mankind as a spirit being is eternal in nature. Is eternal in nature. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Female, male and female, he created him. Well, from John 4.24, Jesus tells me that God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I know that God created me in his image and likeness, but that God himself is a what? A spirit being. So therefore, being made in his image and likeness, I'm a spirit being. As a spirit being, I am then eternal. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 11 to 15. It's just an incredible passage. He has made, this is Yahweh, has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find the work that God does from beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. 
Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away. God does it that men should fear before him. That which has already been and what is to be has already been. (laughs) Think that one through. And God requires an account of what is past. God has put ulam, perpetuity, in our hearts. You know. Everybody on the face of the earth instinctively knows. They care about where they're going after they die. I don't have those discussions with dogs and cats. They don't care. But even someone who says he's an agnostic or an atheist still has, a, has an, uh, an understanding and still has to have an answer for it. Even though they may want to deny the concept of heaven, they still have to answer that question. Why? Because thousands of years ago, God told us that he put it in our hearts. So that we would wonder. We would be drawn to him. That's what Romans 1 says. He's even put it in his creation, so we'd be drawn to him. But we reject it. And we choose to worship the creation rather than the creator. And so the wrath of God is placed upon us. And so we're told even what happens tomorrow has already been. I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but God does. It's already happened. In God's economy, because eternity is not time, you all. It's beyond the concept of time. We, again, make it concept of time because that's what we live within. (laughs) But God is. And we were talking about this, you know, like, how, is it kind of like a CD play, you know, like one of these stacks of CDs, and history's that, you know, I have, isn't it, how can tomorrow already be? But for God, it is. When God showed John the revelation, I don't think he showed him a, a video of what he thought, you know, like Hollywood produced the thing, this is what, the, I think, literally, he took John up, and, and we can be waving at John right now, because 2,000 years ago, he's here right now. You get where I'm going? I don't know how that plays out. But it's a mind-boggling thing. But you know what's exciting is? Our God is above and beyond all that. This kind of stuff just excites me. Because it just proves how stupid I am. How limited in my knowledge I am. I mean... So what? So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, I might talk German or I might do the Greek or I might do the Hebrew or, or maybe I'll learn Spanish and I'll speak Spanish and everybody else will be so impressed. Oh, you can speak seven languages and all that. All that would be what? Still meaningless compared to God. He is. All right, our final point. Yeah, really. Is the question of not essence but existence. Because if man is an eternal being, You have to then ask the question, coming all the way back to it, where are you going to spend your eternity? Where are you going to exist? If you are eternal, because God is eternal, that's why, and he made you in his image and likeness, and so therefore you're eternal, every single individual on the face of the earth is eternal. Do you understand that? That they will exist forever, perpetuity forward, because that's all we can comprehend from time. The question is, where are you going to spend it? So, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, and never, 
and such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Do you understand that? That's an Old Testament. That's not New Testament. The understanding was already there that even hell existed. It's separation from God for all of eternity. Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were all judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The only way to have eternal life in the presence of God is giving your life to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you are going to have an everlasting existence separated from God, getting exactly what you wanted, but you're not going to like what you got. John 5, verses 26 29, For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted to the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. John 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. John 11, verse 25 to 26, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Finally, John 17, verse 1 to 3, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, the definition of eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The progenitor of eternity came in to this world to give you the gift that only he could give, eternal life. He made you in his image and likeness so you have eternal existence. But life, true life, is knowing him. Not knowing about him, but knowing him. I have a comment on our, our YouTube page um, from your message last week, David. He wants to know, can anybody really know God? I'm looking for it. I've got to get time to, to respond. Whether it's a real question or not a real question, I don't know, but I'm going to answer that question as though it's real because I want to put it out there. And the answer is what? Yes. 100% you can know God, not just about God, because God said so himself. And he wants you to know him. That's life. That's life abundant. 
blessings abound when you know him. In that prophecy, we're sliding past just a little section that I just want to bring out real quick because for unto us, a child is what? Born. We've been focusing on that. But what's the next statement say? A son is what? He's what? Given. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten man-child his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not be condemned, perish, but have everlasting life. Do you get it? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son has been given. In his name shall be Pele Yuitz, the wonderful counselor, Al Gibor, the mighty God, Aviad, the father of eternity, Sar Shalom, the prince of peace, because that's ultimately why he came. So, in the end, oh, I went through that. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? It's really a question to ask. What is Christmas, if you would, all about to you? That's why I prefer to call it the Feast of the Incarnation. Because it's all about when the God who created the heavens and the earth became man. Not about all the tinsel. Have you received the gift? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior and received the gift of eternal existence in the presence of God? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way? Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Lord, I don't understand. It is mind-boggling to me how you in the flesh still were the progenitor of eternity. But you've declared it to be so. And I know that nothing is too hard for you to do. That you have prepared beyond what I can imagine for me even in that day. And so how can I ever limit you in what you choose to do when you've determined you're going to do it? I just rejoice in you for it. I accept what you've declared. I proclaim what you declared. I trust in what you declared. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be filled with awe and wonder as we enter into this final week of what on earth we declare as Christmas time. But Lord, that we would make it a time where we truly focus on you and what you've done for us, that you might receive the glory in Christ's name. Amen.